Hey guys, I hope we're having an amazing week. Welcome back to the third episode of Curb Talk. On this week, I had the luxury of speaking with the Barbecue Buddha, aka Chris Sussman. We talked about the Buddha's culinary journey, the ups and downs in his story, and how great it is to be a barbecue master. On a total side note, your boy has been working with this company called Ray's Energy. Ray's recently dropped their new energy drink called South Beach. Having already tons of flavors, Ray's has zero sugars, zero calories, and yes, you better believe it, there's no crash at all. Use my coupon code CURBTALK to unlock some sweet discounts on the Ray's website. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Curb Talk. This week, I'm joined by my good friend, the Barbecue Buddha, a.k.a. Chris Sussman. Chris, how are we doing this week, my friend? We're doing awesome, brother. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Well, thank you for coming on. Where are you calling us from today? What's uh, What have you been doing since COVID, uh, COVID hit us a little over a year ago? So obviously, the people want to know what's been, uh, what's been going on with the Buddha. So I... I... I reside in Louisville, Kentucky, and spent uh, the year, first year of COVID uh, uh, quarantine in our house in Louisville, Uh, but we have a place down in Gulfport, Florida, which is right outside of Tampa, uh, Florida, and we decided, hey, if we've got to be quarantining inside, we may as well do it where the weather's nice, and and from all reports across the country, we made the right decision this winter time. It has been beautiful. I hate saying this because I know a lot of people around the country are hurting, but it's been beautiful and it's been a nice respite compared to the last year. No, I'm definitely jealous. I've been, uh, like I said, a few of my friends have been down there, obviously seeing a few of your videos, uh, sitting by the pool there, uh, hanging out and grilling. The shirts off sounds, uh, sounds pretty darn good. Uh, yeah, so the shirt off part might be a, a, a bad choice, but everything else you said works really well. So, <laughs> <laughs> so Chris, uh, I always barbecue. Like, hey, hey, you know what? That's that's the best. That's the best kind of body right there. So, Chris, yeah. I always like to start off the show with just asking a few different questions. Uh, you know, obviously some funny questions. Just uh, obviously for myself, I'm a huge foodie, so I like to ask everyone these questions. Not just you. Obviously, we know that you're the barbecue master. Um, but we want to kind of know a little bit more about that. So first question right off the bat, uh, for me, I'm a huge spicy guy. So I got to ask spicier plant. What is it? Um, massive spice. I get in trouble with that a lot because I have a high tolerance to spice. So the, the spicier, the better. Oh yeah. Good answer. Good answer. Um, yeah. other than barbecue, obviously, I mean, we see you cooking it up every single day. What uh, on a off day, what are we, uh, what are we going to eat? Uh, you mean going out or cooking? Cooking up. We'll call it cooking up for right now. Uh, I, so it's, it's, I'll keep the answer simple because I love to cook. So I really love to cook anything. But uh, my favorite food to cook that's not barbecue is actually breakfast. I'm a big egg guy. I love to make, wow. especially with leftover barbecue frittatas and omelets and scrambles and all of that type of stuff with uh you know like for instance this morning i had eggs with uh, uh i made this uh, uh asado with a uh, snake river farms kerbuta pork collar last week and so i pan fried some of that leftover pork and i put that in a frittata with chives and uh, cojita or cotilla cheese 
uh, green onions, you know, simple, fresh ingredients. So I love really to gussy up eggs and make breakfast. If you're ever spending time with the barbecue Buddha, breakfast is a good, good time to be around me. Chris, man, you got my mouth watering over here. I haven't even eaten. Yeah. I'm, I'm about to get in the kitchen and start whipping up some stuff. Uh, for the people yeah. that uh, don't know out there, Chris, why don't you talk a little bit about Snake River Farms and uh, what that is? Uh, Snake River Farms is a, a small uh, family-run ranch out of Boise, Idaho. And they specialize in two things, American Wagyu meat and then curbuta uh, pork. And I'll, and I'll go over briefly which each one of those are. Everybody hears what Wagyu is, and they're like, there's no such thing as American Wagyu. To be true, it's it, to be technical, that's true. Wagyu literally translates to Japanese cow. Wa means Japanese, and gyu means cow. But what, what Snake River Farms does is they have their own DNA line of Wagyu bulls that they have imported and raised on their ranch that they breed with the best uh, hair, uh, the best Angus cows. And they come up with a beef product that is uh, on the BMS scale, the beef marbling scale, nine and above. So it, it compares to A4 uh, Japanese Wagyu, but it eats a lot like an Angus steak that you're used to. So it's really what I like to say, the best of both worlds. It's amazing. A lot of the barbecue people on the circuit use the Wagyu briskets, America Wagyu briskets from Snake River Farms. And that's really what put them on the map. And then Kerbuta pork is to pork what Wagyu is to beef. It's a heritage small breed uh, pig that's raised in Japan. And uh, they have the same thing. They have that bloodline that they raise on their ranch. And it is intensely marbled, delicious uh, uh, pork. So it's, you know, everything you love about pork products with a lot more fat and marbling. So you can't go wrong there, right? You know, you guys are that are learning about this for the first time. I have had the luxury of having a few cuts of meat from Snake River Farms. And to say, if you have not hopped on this website yet, you better be doing it at the end of this podcast, because it is just, it is absolutely worth every single dollar and penny that you spend there. It, it, it's it's money. It's butter. Every single time it hits my mouth. And as you can, if, if you guys follow the Buddha here, you can see some of his recipes are from Snake River Farms. Most of them are from Snake River Farms and they are outstanding. Uh, yeah, Chris, and, and I want to make that a lot of people spend a lot of money on that. And if you don't find a recipe that I put out there, either on my blog or YouTube or Instagram channels, just DM me uh, on whatever channel or send me an email and ask me how to do it. I can't begin to tell you how many times I've walked. People are like, I just spent $100 on a steak. And I'm scared to cook it. And I walked them through how to cook it. And then they send me the after pictures. And it's I get a real thrill out of that. And also use the code 10BUDDHA, B-U-D-D-H-A. And that will get you, I think, 10 or 15% off of any order that you, you get from Snake River Farms. We will uh, link every one of Chris's for his book, uh, for his website. Everything will be at the bottom in our description. So it'll make it a little bit easier for you guys to find out uh, more about Chris, a.k.a. the Barbecue Buddha. Uh, Chris, obviously, look, this is the most important question of the ball. If it's not barbecue, man, what are you doing? Yeah, um, two things, really. I'm a strong family guy. And uh, like my daughter's down here, I was just telling you before we jumped on this, uh, the podcast, my daughter's down for two weeks after that. My in-laws get down here. So I loved being around family. My wife and I have two French bulldogs at home. So anybody that watches my stories will constantly see Yoda and Obi 
featured in my stories. They're knuckleheads and I love them to death. So I love spending time with the family. And then I'm also a musician. Before I got into uh, barbecue professionally, oddly enough, back in the Washington, D.C. area, played in bands professionally for the better part of 20 years. So I still love to pick up a guitar or a bass guitar and go into my little practice space and, and jam out just to to get in my own headspace and kind of have fun away from everything else. You know, Chris is the face of, as we talked about Snake River Farms, and also one other item that I want to touch on, something that's been on my bucket list for a very long time, as we were talking about before, is also the Big Green Egg. And the Big Green Egg is a stove, we'll call it a a grill, but the grill of all, um, it's a charcoal grill, and it gives you the opportunity to just create, as I will call it, holy meals. I mean, this item is, I mean, obviously I'll let the, the, the Buddha talk a little bit more about it, but I have seen it, him use it. I've seen multiple people use it. And this item is, uh, is very special. Chris, why don't you tell us a little bit more about Big Green Egg as well? So um, thank you. Great introduction to that topic. I'm a, a part of the uh, Big Green Egg Pro staff. So in non-COVID times, you'll see me traveling around the country, cooking for and with Big Green Egg at big festivals like Memphis in May and the Atlanta Food and Wine Festival, et cetera. Um, I, I'm all over their website. I do content creation for them, both video recipes and written recipes. So I'm a, I'm a huge egghead by nature and professionally, I'm, I'm all Big Green Egg. And the thing that I love the most about the Big Green Egg is the ability to cook uh, anything on there. So it, because of its design, the ceramic insulation, it holds temperature whether high or low very well. So once you set the temperature, you don't have fluctuations and you aren't impacted by outside temperature. It could be really cold outside. It could be really hot outside. It's not going to impact inside the big green egg. And with all the various configurations with the things you could buy for it, you could do indirect cooking, which is essentially roasting, but you're doing that over live fire. So you're getting a wood flavor to that. Um, you could do direct grilling, which is your traditional burgers and your chicken and stuff. And then you could do really high heat cooking, like making pizzas um, and skirt steak and things like that, where you get it up to like 600, 700 degrees and you cook things really quickly. The versatility of this uh, grill is second to none. And uh, once you really get past the learning curve, it, it, it could be easier to set up and use in your life. I, I love it. Let's, let's jump into it, man. I mean, tell us, tell us from when you started to, to where you are now. Well, uh, I'll, I'll try to make it short. I could tend to talk a lot. So you're on video. I'm not. If you give me the hook sign, I'll, I'll wind it up. But I'll <laughs> give you a little backstory. I grew up in the restaurant business. I'm originally from the Washington, D.C. area. My dad owned a restaurant, several restaurants in the Washington, D.C. area back in the day. And they were steakhouses. So I, I grew up with a love and affinity for the food service industry and being in the kitchens and being around that environment. But of course, when you're a kid, the last thing you want to do is work with your dad and do what your dad did. So I got into IT, information technology, and I spent the better part of my career in IT, which at times could be high stress. It's always on, you know, and people that work in the IT industry, you're everybody's best friend, never, but you're their worst enemy the minute their stuff doesn't work, right? Yeah. So for me, I found stress relief in grilling. And so the, the love for the food service industry and cooking and the need for stress relief on the weekends, I started grilling and I started cooking and cooking and grilling. 
And then once I got the hang of it, uh, I used to cook on Weber Smoky Mountain. I knew enough about the love of barbecue and smoking to know what I needed in a grill. So I used my engineering background to sort of do a pros and cons list of all the grills available on the market then. This is the mid-2000s. And Big Green Egg checked all those boxes. So I migrated from a Weber Smoky Mountain to the Big Green Egg. Uh, and then I, my daughter um, turned me on to this new app at the time called Instagram. And I was like, what's this Instagram stuff? Everybody was on Facebook and, and at that time. And yeah. so I started just posting pictures of me cooking on the big green egg, you know, and that now everybody's doing it. But back then nobody was doing it. And I started getting all this attention, um, which was really good. And then so that was for several years. And in 2014, I was really wanting to start a blog. And my love, I, I love to show people, you know, we're all a little bit of egomaniacs out there. Look at me, give me likes, give me feedback. But really, I found my love of teaching people. I love to see it when somebody says, oh, my God, I didn't know how to cook that thing. And you inspired me to do this or like this year, everybody in COVID. Oh, my God, I really wanted to learn how to do barbecue. And I've been watching you all this year inspires me. That's really what gives me my my you know happiness is to inspire other people. So when I wanted to write a blog and start sharing recipes with people, I was trying to come up with a name. And in a late night conversation with my wife, I was kind of lamenting the fact that I really liked buddhism as a philosophy but i just couldn't commit to it and she was like well why can't you commit to it and i said well, it's the whole vegetarian thing i mean i love barbecue too much i mean if it wasn't for not eating animals like i could really go hard to the mat with this buddhism thing and she said why don't you do both just become the barbecue buddha and right then and there is is where the name and the persona was was uh, uh given so i like to say when everybody asks the simple uh, answer is i like to help people reach nirvana on the on their personal path of barbecue right you know i, I'm, I like I'm the buddha of barbecue and it's so really, your medicine in that sense it is it really is uh, buddhism to me is all about mindfulness and that's really just you know thinking about why you're in a certain situation or what's and to me and then through that mindfulness, you really get away from anxiety and questioning, you know, is this wrong? Is this right? You kind of, by just thinking it through, you're able to give yourself peace. And I find a lot of parallels with that with barbecue. For me, I always tell people, keep a journal. You know, the brisket cooks this way this time. The next way it'll cook a different time. Don't let that frustrate you. Learn why. What were the differences in the weather? What were the differences in the wood that you used? What time did you start? How, what was the size? What did the cut of meat look like? So it's that mindfulness in their barbecue journey that keeping a journal, a log and thinking through, not just mindlessly following recipes, but being mindful about why they're doing what they're doing, I really found has an impact on me personally and sharing that with other people has had an impact on them. Mm -hmm. And kind of just backtracking a little bit, you know, obviously you had touched on, you know, your dad, you know, you worked with your dad a little bit, um, you know, you, you had grown up in kind of the, the kitchen lifestyle. Was there someone more using the word prominent, I guess, in, I guess, kind of a mentor role that kind of inspired you to get into it a little bit more? You know, when I talk to a few other people on this podcast, uh, you know, we talk about, you know, for myself, it, you know, when I first got into coaching, it was, it was supposed to be a year long thing. You know, I was just taking off from school. I was going to go back the following year and now it's turned into, I've been doing this for seven years now and I've been able to make it into a full-time career. And like you said, we were just saying on helping the next generation, right. And my medicine would be, you know, helping young, 
men and women get to, you know, their college of dream or, you know, helping them get through a tough problem in the day. You know, that's, as you were mentioning just there, that's the most important thing. But, you know, we talk and kind of, I know I went down a little bit of a rabbit hole there. Um, but, you know, I talk about uh, Chip Buzio was one of my greatest mentors. You know, is there someone that kind of puts you onto the barbecue realm, essentially? Well, for me, oddly enough, it was, I was in a band. It was the mid 2000s. And I went over to my guitar player's house for practice one night and I got there early. And this guy couldn't have been, at the time I was married and had kids, he was still single and drinking beer and hanging out in his underwear. You know, he's a total guy's guy at that point. <laughs> and I got to his house a little early and he had this Weber grill and he was cooking pork tenderloin. I didn't even know what pork tenderloin was at that point, right? You know, I had cooked burgers and steaks as chicken, maybe. I didn't really think about barbecue in that way. And he was using wood, you know, like flavored wood. And, and he was using indirect to direct zones grilling and he was glazing. And, and to me, it was so fascinating for two things. One, I would never think Charlie would take cooking seriously. And two, what he made was like really delicious. So it was this juxtaposition of these two things that really freaked me out. And I wanted to know more. And I said, hey, you know, how did you get into all this stuff? And he handed me this book by Stephen Reichling called Barbecue USA. And Stephen Reichland is also a pro member of the Big Green Egg staff and a huge mentor. I know him well. He, he gave me an endorsement for the book. I'm really proud of that. And he is a, a famous barbecue guy. And he is somebody that really approaches barbecue in a very similar way to me. Instead of making it all about him and the personality, he makes it about the information and sharing in a, a very uh, low-key manner his love for barbecue and way of teaching people and not being, uh, uh, you know, a lot of people in the barbecue world are like, this is how you do it. This is why you do it. And they create all of this religion around certain things of barbecue where Stephen is more just matter of fact. And I really read that book front to center. I immediately went out and got a Weber grill. I immediately went out and started cooking and trying to teach myself all of that. So I would stay, say Stephen Reichland and Barbecue USA was the thing that lit, lit the fire for me. Very cool. Very cool. So I guess, you know, let's kind of get back into it. Fast forwarding, you know, we left off uh, in your story, uh, you know, at the years 2014, you, you figured out, you learned about this amazing uh, new app called Instagram. Uh, little did you know, it would turn into this amazing following and just YouTube channel, all this stuff, I guess, continue on from where you were starting in uh, 2014. So it, it just really was that, you know, it was uh, throwing a lot of different irons in the fire and uh, figuring out what was working for me. And really, it was a couple years later, it was really 2017 that, that it's a lot of people that are sharing their stuff on Instagram and social media. It, and I fell into this trap as well. And, and I'd still do this every now and again. And it's like, look at this really cool thing that I made. And it could be really cool. And it could be really fascinating. But if people that are your followers or people that aren't your followers are seeing this and they don't see themselves in that, then it's interesting, but it's not that interesting. So I've really found for me when my growth and engagement really started to go through the roof is when I was able to make people see themselves in what I was doing. And it was really with these little short videos that I create where I teach people how to make these recipes. And uh, when I started to do that and then do long form on YouTube, 
you know, the amount of time that people will really just say, oh my God, I, you know, I, I've never thought about cooking this way and I've tried this recipe or I've really been inspired. Again, that's what really jazzes me. So from like 2017 to now is, is really when the, the excitement in my new career has taken off. I actually left my corporate IT job um, and do this full time now and wow. have sponsors. I feel like a race car driver, you know, I've sponsored <laughs> Bigger Eggs, Snaker Farms, Dizzy Big, the list goes on. It's a lot of fun working in this way and it all happens to be real. So the person that you see on these silly little videos and the stories is actually how I'm living and actually what I like and what I like to do. So it's kind of a job, but it's really just sort of sharing a day in the life with the barbecue Buddha that seems to work for me and my audience. You know, you say it's a job, but you know, at which point, you know, I always talk about, you know, you were saying, you touched on it before, you know, obviously you never want to follow what your pops did. My dad was a big finance guy. It never, it never interested me. Um, coaching always interested me from a young age. Obviously I talked about it in my first podcast. Um, and I guess where I'm going with this is, you know, for you, you know, when were there any moments kind of in this whole barbecue journey, we'll call it, um, you know, did you feel that, you know, maybe this isn't the route, you know, maybe I'm doing something wrong to kind of talk about where, where's been the down? Uh, well, the down it's, it's an ongoing challenge. And if you read it across most influencers now, especially Instagram influencers, Instagram has yet again, changed their algorithm. And, and we're all, I'm at the top of that list. Well, I'm the top of the list. Cause it's my list. Um, <laughs> frustrated with it. It seems that Instagram penalizes the people that are bringing eyes and attention to their platform. You know, somebody like me is I'm, I'm, I have, and this isn't to be a humble brag, it's just the benefit of being true. I've proven that people like my content and engage with me, right? So when it goes binary from like a million views on a video down to barely 10,000, um, it's not, I'd have to say it's not me. I have enough empirical evidence to say that whatever Instagram was doing before, they're not doing now. And it's happening across the board. So that can be very frustrating because then you have to scramble to figure out how to recreate your content, what are the metrics they're looking for. And that's when it starts making it feel like a job as opposed to sharing your passion. You're like, well, what's the code? What are the ha hashtags I need to use? Or what time of day am I supposed to be posting? Or what is the metric that they're looking for in order to get this video in front of more people? Um, that is a constant struggle for social media influencing. And then, you know, you've got your trolls out there. Uh, TikTok is a new platform. Um, I had the ability to be in TikTok at the beginning. At the time I saw it a couple of years ago, I thought it was just for preteen girls that were listening to their favorite <laughs> pop songs. And, and now it's just blown up. Uh, but the amount of um, transit nature in that, the disposability, you know, you're just as good as your last trend. And, and, and so that type of stuff takes away from the positivity. But, you know, it's like what everybody else says, you just have to block all that negative and nonsense out and, and just keep going and just keep putting yourself out there. And, and it's the occasional DM or message I get an email where people are like, you've really inspired me. I did X, Y, or Z that makes you realize, Hey, I do have an audience out there. I do have people that really care about this type of stuff and, and it helps you block everything else out. But yeah, it's, a, it's a constant struggle to feel like, Hey, you know, the day that you declare, hey, I've succeeded here is the day that everything changes. So in a weird way, that negativity makes you more creative and constantly change and evolve with the platform. 
Yeah, I like that 100%. You're 100% right. Um, you know, I guess kind of stemming off that, you know, we talk about, you know, ignoring the outside perspective, you know, people that are bringing negativity in, you know, I always talk about the next gen and inspiring the next generation. What would, you know, as a, as a chef, we'll call it, uh, the, as the barbecue Buddha, you know, what, what would be your words to that next, you know, the next 13, 14, 15 year old young man or woman coming up in the ranks? So it's really twofold. If you're really serious about cooking, just keep at it with your craft. You know, uh, know it's going to be long. Know it's going to be hard. But try not to be, you know, know, try to put yourself in the position to do a bunch of these repetitive tasks and tasks, but also connect and see the big picture. And don't be afraid to be creative and don't let the slog get to you. If it's cooking plus social media, what I say is at the beginning, don't wrap your head around how many likes am I getting and how many views am I getting? And, and, and it, what you really need to do is be authentic, be consistent, create great content, find your own voice. And that's going to take a lot of experimenting along the way. But if you do those four things and you do those four things consistency, consistently, you'll find your voice. If you get caught up too early on, like I had the blessing of, I didn't even know about likes and engagement. I wasn't even having metrics. I just would post a picture of a hamburger. People would like it. It was, it was this larky, funny thing. Now people are getting into it to immediately get to where I am. And they don't realize I've been doing this for seven years. It's seven years to take me to get to here. They want to look for the easy button. And you could tell the people that went from a thousand followers to a hundred thousand followers in less than a year, they're not doing, you know, they're, 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 they're gaming the system somehow. So it's hard work, authenticity, um, consistency, and creativity is uh, what I would tell new social media people. Wise words from the Buddha. Uh, you know, I guess I, I kind of missed this question uh, before. Uh, you know, obviously, Chris, you've been all around the United States, uh, maybe obviously outside the country, too. Um, I, I left this out before, but I got to know, you know, what, what's the best restaurant you've been to? I know this is kind of backtrack. So a I'm bit, a but. super foodie as well. I mean, mm-hmm. foodie is a whole new thing now. And I'm a super foodie as well. And I have the luxury of having um, a very wealthy friend. I won't tell you much about him as a person, but I just have this guy in my life that I've grown up with since elementary school. But when I say wealthy, I'm like talking personal plane type of wealthy. And we get together before COVID, we would get together the, the three of us that were best friends growing up from elementary school until adults we get together once a year and do something crazy around the world or around the country. And so I've had the pleasure of eating a lot of Michelin rated restaurants because he has the pockets to take me to those places. I have to say the best one, I have eaten it several in Europe on trips with him to Europe, but the best one that I've had in particularly here in the United States is a place in San Francisco called Saison, S-A-I-S-O-N. It's oh, like yeah. only the second restaurant in the United States that's achieved a three-star Michelin thing. Um, and I'll just say this, I could give you more detail if you want, but when I walked in and sat down with him and his wife and uh, my daughter, it was actually, she was with me at that time. The question that the server asked us at the start of the meal is, 
are you here to do the three and a half hour feeding or the four and a half hour feeding? And I was <laughs> I looked at Abder and I was like, is there really any question or is there really, <laughs> we know what, how we're going to, we're going to answer this one. So yeah, yeah, it was, uh, that, that's an insanely great restaurant. Yeah, no, I, I and I, obviously I've had the, the luxury of being able to go to a few, obviously on special events, you know, birthdays and anniversaries, uh, you know, I guess what, what I always like to describe it as, and correct me if I'm wrong, but at that point, you know, obviously, look, the food is amazing, but you're not really, in my opinion, you know, you're not paying for the food as much as you're taking in the whole atmosphere, right? I, I, I won't, I forget the name of this place that I went to. It was in the city, uh, in New York City, sorry, uh, a few years ago. And, you know, you, you talk about the, you know, the waiters and waitresses come out and everything is in sync, you know, when they're putting the fork from the minute they're putting the forks down in order to how they're pouring the water in your cup. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, it's a show from start to finish. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily realize that you're not just paying for the food. Now, granted, the food is absolutely beautiful, breathtaking. The plating is gorgeous. You know, this is something that they're taking 30 to an hour on each meal, probably. Um, but, you know, I guess kind of, talk. you know, when we talk, when I talk about it, you know, that's kind of the way I describe those kind of restaurants. It's more artwork than anything. And, and, and obviously in a great way, it's, it, it's beautiful, every single one of those places. Well, when you think about Michelin starred restaurants, everybody thinks about food and the food is really the foundation of it. But the best way to describe what you just said is the difference between a one-star Michelin restaurant and a three-star is usually the one-star, you get this insanely amazing food, right? So good, the chef's so good, they earn a star. It's worth the stop. A three-star, it will be that magical experience, the service that transcends the eating experience. So when you have the combination of this uh, over-the-top service experience with this over-the-top food is when you get into that three-star realm and, and you couldn't have said it better. It's, it's the experience that makes Michelin-rated restaurants uh, the so wide. Mm-hmm. Do you ever think, and this is kind of stemming off the whole restaurant idea, do you ever think that you would start a restaurant? Buddha, Buddha oh, you know barbecue <laughs> I get asked that a lot. And oddly enough, it's weird. Every now and again, I'll get people. I got some guy from uh, Cancun, Mexico, said he owns a hotel and he has a restaurant space available. He wanted to put the barbecue Buddha restaurant down there. My wife was like, oh, well, it's good to have options. Hey, man, uh, Mex- to have a restaurant down in Mexico doesn't sound too shabby to me. Take the yeah. uh, take the weekends off and uh Take the uh, jet down, down there. <laughs> yeah, it, it's just the thing is going back to the beginning of my origin story. I grew up in the restaurant business and I see mm-hmm. the toll it takes on. I mean, imagine throwing a party, the yeah. best party of your life and cooking for that party and being the host for that party and having to clean up and prep and all. And that's what you have to do every day of the week. I, I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I really commend the people that do that full time for a living and if in any way I'm stealing their thunder because of what I do, I, I always defer to the food service industry professionals because they really earn earn the real praise. But uh, I just can't imagine taking that. Right now, I've got the perfect balance where food, creating food and creating that environment um, is still a lot of fun. And there's a perfect balance, like I said, at the top of this uh, conversation with my family. That's important to me. And I don't want to take away from either one. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right in that sense. You know, I think the minute, you know, all that kind of 
goes away. You know, I, when I was uh, in high school, I was actually looking at a school up in Rhode Island by the name of Johnson and Wales, because I had always been inspired to cook. My mother was a amazing, amazing cook. Um, and still is, um, her grandmother was an amazing cook. Um, so I've always been around great chefs and at a young age, I always wanted to open up a restaurant. And then as you get older, you know, obviously you, you, you understand things a little bit more and you're seeing things first take. And it's, you know, when I talk to some of good friends that own some great restaurants, he, he comes up to me, and goes, you know, Santi, I'm in that, in that restaurant, 18 out of 24 hours of the day seven, six, seven days a week. And I'm getting home at two in the morning, three in the morning, and I'm back out at six, seven o'clock again to go get, to prepare for the next day. So, yeah, I mean, if you love that routine and that, that whole, you know, some people love that intensity, God bless you. (laughs) I mean, I, 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 that's a lot of stress, but you know, I mean, it, it, it is, you're absolutely right in that sense where it's, it's a big time taker. And it's also, you know, you don't necessarily know if it's going to be a hit or miss. Yeah. Now, what I do love to do, and I was doing quite a bit of prior to COVID, is pop-ups and takeovers. So I know a lot of people in Louisville that own restaurants and or bars, and I would pull up my trailer in the smoker and do pop-ups. I'm doing a book signing and a pop-up at a place uh, in May 8th in Louisville. So, I mean, when when things are normal, that's kind of how I get out to see and, and to be with the public and get that food service thing. It's not so much for the money, but because I want the experience for people that see me and eat my food uh, to be able to do it in, in real life. And then the other thing that I was doing and it was getting quite successful prior to COVID is I've got an excellent backyard in Louisville, Kentucky with a space set up to that's where I have all my grills, not only Big Green Egg, but I have a Traeger, I have a Weber Smoky Mountain, I've got an offset smoker, and that will hold barbecue school. And so I have people come to classes up to 12 where they come and sit around and they're able to watch. And I always have a finished product so everybody can eat, try it, but we go through the prep and the, the setting up the smokers and how do you do this. And that's a really good concept as well. So I, I definitely put a day in of work other than just cooking and taking that bite on social media but covid was just you know like it has been for everybody else it's been a curveball that i've had to work around yeah absolutely i mean chris man i might have you you might have to come back to your uh, your old stomping grounds up here in virginia and uh hit a pop-up for a week for me so i can come barbecue out for the entire week i've unfortunately uh never been lucky enough to eat the the buddha's amazing barbecue food but uh you know hopefully sometime over the next few months i would love to make it down there and try one of these amazing classes or you know even get in one of these restaurants and try your food obviously you know have heard amazing things and you know the looks of it my eyes pop out of my head um, well keep yeah, so an that's... eye out because i work with chris capel and, and the folks at dizzy pig barbecue which is in manassas virginia and we're talking yeah. about getting me up there for a live demonstration and a book signing and all of that. So that'll probably be the book comes out April 6th. So I'll probably be May, June time frame. I'll be in Northern Virginia and do something like that. So make sure to keep an eye out. You'll be top of the list of people to get in and, and oh. hang out. 
Awesome. Absolutely. I will, uh, I will definitely be on the lookout for that. So Chris, you know, obviously look, your story is amazing for me. I'm inspired. Um, you know, obviously the whole point of this, this podcast is for people like yourself to come on and inspire the, the kid that's contemplating becoming a chef, you know, he's too scared to do it because he doesn't think it's, it's, you know, right for him, but it's people like you, like me, uh, like the people that come on this podcast that are kind of, providing a little bit more light into that, uh, into those dark areas. So obviously, you know, Chris, I want to say thank you a thousand times for coming on. And obviously before I let you go, I want to give you the floor to yourself, kind of just tell us what you're doing right now, what you have going on. Obviously you, know, you talked about your book coming up, you know, what, what's going on over the next call it year, two years for you. Yeah. Thanks. Great, great segue into the book. So the big focus for me, April 6th, which is now a little over a month away, my book, The Four Fundamentals of Smoking, comes out. You can pre-order it now uh, from Amazon, and I'm hopefully you'll put the link in your podcast or whatever, you, the way you promote this. Um, it's an interesting book. It, it's not just a cookbook. Uh, it's divided into two parts. There's a narrative where I talk about the what I've defined as the four fundamentals of smoking, which are just the secrets that I've learned that kind of cracked the code for me with cooking great backyard barbecue and that I share, you know, I always say recipes are an outline. They're not the way, they're a way. And so how do you take a recipe as a backyard barbecuer? And then how do you break down the variables? So you go, okay, I understand this is what they're trying to convey in the recipe. And this is where I you'd usually make a mistake or if I see this or I see that, I know where to tune it in. So I talk about why smoke is created, what the smoke in smoke that imparts flavor so you know what to look for, what the variations in temperature, why do people consider 225 to 275 the barbecue zone, what happens there, what happens above that temperature, below that temperature. So I break down these complicated things and really easy to digest fundamentals so you as a home backyard chef can then have these aha moments and then up your game it's really to like i said before help you learn how to be a better you be a better barbecue version of yourself and then the second half of the book is 40 plus recipes and the great thing about this is the the publisher didn't want me to make it just big green egg specific so i talk about traeger grills the pellet grills i talk about bullet grills which are the the weber smoky mountain types and i'll talk about kamado grills which are big green eggs so you really get a sense of how to on all three grill types and then you have recipes that essentially reference those things to you know if i say cook it at this temperature you know to go back and look here for the traeger for the weber so it's a it's a great book it's a great reference and i'm really proud of it so pre-order it today as far as what else I have going on, I'm, I'm still holding off on doing a lot of, you know, in public stuff just because I'm trying to be cautious and conscious of COVID. But I'm hoping to do uh, a lot more classes in Louisville as the summer goes on and then eventually resume uh, the pop ups and stuff uh, when I have the opportunity to do so. And then I'm talking with some people about doing online classes to where we could do, you know, like Zoom learning sessions, either one-on-one or group setting to try to, to just get the word out even more. So it's uh, more of the same, but more of the same added, you know, more, more, more YouTube, more information and more promotion for this book is really what's in the next year. 
Well, that sounds that all sounds awesome. Obviously, you know, as we talked about before, uh, you could find all the links to Chris's merchandise, to his book, to the Instagram, to his YouTube channel, all below in our description. Chris, I want to thank you so so much for coming on this week. Obviously, your story is very very inspiring. You got me super hungry right now. I'm about to go into my kitchen and probably make a giant mess because I need to feast up. So again, Chris, aka the Barbecue Buddha, thank you so much for coming on to Curb Talk and speaking with us. Hey, man, it was a great pleasure. I look forward to meeting you in person one day and let me know when this is up on your site and on your podcast and I'll promote it on my channels to give you some love as well. Awesome. Thank you so much, Chris, for coming on, everybody. We hope that we inspired you this week and we hope that you have a great week. Have a good one. Yep.